Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. sad week. Awful. I thought she'd live forever. I really thought Tina Turner... she always looked forever. exactly the same. She was amazing. I saw a concert of hers and I think she was like 65 or something. And she was certainly in her 60s or 70s. And she was running up and down this crane over the I top do of the that. audience. I do that. Do you? Yeah. Not singing, I hope. And great legs. Oh my God, the legs. Oh, I saw. I took my mum to see the tribute like act, like the the show. It was incredibly good, actually. But nothing, just nothing, compares to her energy. To you, <laughs> to you. She, the energy that woman had was absolutely incredible. Well, there was a piece by Bonnie Greer yesterday saying that watching Tina Turner in the sixties—that's the first time she saw on telly a black woman's size. Because up till then, it was all very demure and hidden. But she was the first person to get her legs out. And the way she stood was legs apart was quite male and quite aggressive. She wasn't demure. No, not at all. I mean, she was really sort of powerful, wasn't she? The way she moved around the stage, she absolutely owned the stage. But there's a ridiculous, stupid, ridiculous debate going on that we shouldn't listen to her music where Ike Turner is in the background and he was on that version we just listened yeah. to because he was an abuser. It's absolutely insane. So my book of the week, really, and it's had a lot of reviews, this book, quite a few pro and quite a few very, very anti. And it's by Claire Dederer and it's called Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma. And it really is, should we enjoy art, such as Proud Mary, if someone is involved in the art who was an abuser or a paedophile or a vivisectionist. So she talks about, should we watch Roman Polanski's films? Should we read Nabokov? Should we read Hemingway? Michael Jackson, should we listen to his... Ow! Should we listen to Michael Jackson's records? She almost grabbed her crutch at that point. So it's a tricky one, isn't it? And she does have a very, 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 very good quote, which sort of sums it up, the whole ambition of the book. And she quotes Ernest Hemingway, who I absolutely detest because he was pro-bullfighting. Anyway, he said, the greatest difficulty in writing is knowing truly what you've really felt rather than what you were supposed to feel and had been taught to feel. So that's the essence of writing. You're not writing to 
be popular or to make people like you or to give a veneer to a divorce or a marriage or your children or it has to be real it has to be what you really felt and I think there's too many writers around now who are toning it down and not wanting to offend you know publishers now have readers who will read a book and take out all the offensive stuff and it's absolutely ridiculous No, it it has become ridiculous. I think people are actually scared to speak or voice an opinion because they're just damned. I mean, this business of free speech, and obviously it's not free speech that is harmful or prejudiced or nasty, but actual having an opinion and free speech, if it doesn't conform, it's it, it you're vilified for it. It's awful. But particularly if it's historical, you're not going to change what... Jane Austen wrote or felt, or what Ernest Hemingway wrote or felt, or F. Scott Fitzgerald. If you reread The Great Gatsby, it's actually really racist, yeah. but it's still one of my favourite books. But you have yeah. you have to read it in the context of that was then and this is now. And also the whole point of history, isn't it? The whole point of looking back, the whole point of evaluation of previous art or current art or future art or in any format is what can we learn from it? What can we take from it? So I, I mean, my parents were very old, and obviously they're, they're not around now. And looking back on it, my father served in the army and he fought the Nazis. Have I ever mentioned you, that? You, you have occasionally, just just once or twice. But then the way they spoke about people in East Africa, which became Kenya was actually quite offensive. Yeah. But I wasn't going to berate my mum and dad because they were from a different age yeah. and they were perhaps a bit ignorant and they perhaps weren't aware and they were the product of their upbringing. And I remember when I took my first proper boyfriend, Richard, home, who was a black squaddy, my mum and dad were so shocked. Yeah. And I remember my dad coming out after me as I drove away and he said it wouldn't have been so bad if he was Indian. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I'm not going to disown no. my mum and dad because they are from a different time. Yeah. And you are you are a product. I mean, whatever you say, no child is born with prejudice of any sort to do with colour, sexuality, anything. No child is born with that. You know, you learn as you grow up. So obviously they've learned and, and, and luckily you've not taken that on having been in that situation. Well, she also talks about J.K. Rowling, and it's quite a brief section about J.K. Rowling, and she makes remarks about how sort of insane the tribes are, the Harry Potter fans. I mean, they're absolutely like a tribe. She says, small wonder that some reacted so furiously to misguided feelings of being attacked for their LGBTQ plus identities later. Dedra then reverts to the standard denunciations presumably required by her publisher. And the irony of implying that a woman critical of male violence is monstrous in a book generally critical of male violence leaps off the page. So even though she's critical of male violence in the book, she doesn't really stick up for J.K. Rowling, which is strange that she yeah. can't recognise that she's being censored. Yeah. I so it has had yeah. a very mixed reaction, this book. As long as people aren't vivisectionists and don't abuse animals, I quite like them. But anyway, the best, funniest piece in the papers this week was Deborah Ross who you know I love. We can do with funny. Bring and us she's, funny. she's written a piece saying women can quite clearly have a penis the Lib Dem leader 
Ed Davey said this week. On hearing that, my first thought was, I wish. Since women can clearly have one, how, I wonder, might one be attained? Did John Lewis do them? Can you... <laughs> Can you pick one up in TK Maxx? What about Denelm? Denelm sells everything. That's one of those shops I won't go in. Amazon. Amazon sells Garden everything. Garden centres, which carry all sorts of mad stuff. When I go in a garden centre, I want to buy a beautiful plant of lavender. I don't want little statues. And No. No. Anyway, so Deborah says when she gets a penis, she's going to whirl it around like a baby elephant discovering its trunk. She's been listening to the fallacies that men spout about the size of penis. And she will she? tell, this is a funny one, This I will tell, says Deborah when she gets a penis, the sat-nav lady, she's wrong, and take as far a shortcut that's longer than the long cut because that's acceptable because you have a penis. She says, I will show it off in McDonald's and go back to work as a police officer, <laughs> no questions asked. I'll be paid more than I deserve for the work I do. I will write my name in the snow. I'll have no way of knowing whether anyone wants to see my penis. I'm not a mind reader, so I'll send you a picture anyway. <laughs> I love that one. She says, I will take up two seats on the train with her legs open. This is a funny one. This always happens to me. She has a penis, so she will always order a pudding. Didn't I say the other week, why do men always order three You courses? did say that. You did. So I, in the comments section, added some, and I said... When I have a penis, I will never write down where we park the car at Heathrow Airport in the car park. Yeah. And I would always use a manual toothbrush when I have a penis. Oh, no. No, no, no. And I will have no, a dirty wash bag stained with toothpaste and I won't wash it the minute I get home. I always wash my wash bag. You do. And I will get to a pristine £500 a night hotel room in the New Forest and I'll put coins and receipts on the table. And you'll also always start saying, whatever the problem is, it's fine. And you'll sit back and wait for someone else to deal with it. So well done, Deborah. That was very funny. But I will no longer be voting Lib Dem. Shall, shall we move on to more people I don't like? Go on. We've got a list, haven't you? You've got a list. Well, I absolutely love this reality TV programme. We're going to come to reality TV again at the end because I love reality TV. I absolutely love it more than anything else. Police dramas, everything apart from Jamie Dornan. Especially if it's got a house. I opened Netflix, especially if it's got nice chairs, houses. Season three, The Parisian Agency. Yeah, I started talking in French. Do you know any French? I did O-level French. Did you? Oui. And how far did you get? I got, I did very well. <laughs> Ouvrez la fenêtre. Ouvrez la porte. That's <laughs> my extent. Anyway, you've got to watch The Parisian Agency on Netflix because it's such a vicarious, open-mouthed pleasure. And it's full of beautiful women with rich husbands, prostitutes, Looking for five million euro bitter. flats in Paris. <laughs> and there was one flat. It had a cinema, all new furniture, a pool. It was a houseman terrace. The view of the Tour Eiffel. <laughs> and they said no to the flat because the children's bedrooms are too far from the parents. I just thought that had been a massive plus point. Like the, Put them in the basement or a cupboard. I thought that was the dream to sort of get the kids, you know, at the back of the house well away. Anyway, now this family-run Parisian agency, which is all very handsome young men, have now come to London. Ooh la la. 
and they were finding a house for a goalie and he had this exquisite wife with an exquisite little daughter and they wanted a home in Little Venice and they were showing me on this beautiful private house with beautiful guy. Oh, my God. And he said, the, no, I'm not, no. no I'm not having no. this, no. I was, because the walk-in wardrobe is not big enough as I like to display all my sneakers. O-M-G. And he needs a trophy room near the entrance. I need a trophy room if we're talking about... Never mind your World Cup, young man. You've got, you can have a trophy cupboard. I remember when I first went to Naples home, because he still would live with his parents, and he was going to move in with me, and I saw his collection of trainers, and I started thinking... No, no, absolutely no way am I having those trainers in my house now. And when we split up once and he'd moved out and taken his stuff, I got home and my first thought was, it's so tidy. It's so tidy. Now, Martin's working away at the minute and, like, the house is clean, it's tidy, and I've got toilet roll. And the thing about these rich people is they listen to their children's opinions. What does the four-year-old think of the 25 million euro house? Don't ask a child. They listen. My mum and dad never listen to my opinions, ever. Just do what you're told, isn't it? Crack on with it. Anyway, there's one woman buying a house. She says, I'm not sure there's enough room for parties. And there was a basement with a bar, a disco and a pool. And another woman said, oh, my children, my two girls will love this. A basement with a bar, a disco and a pool. When I was growing up, we used to live in Hall in Took Road. <laughs> and you got an you orange and some nuts in your Christmas stocking. Have you heard of Monty Python? I've or heard you too of it. Young? No, I've heard of him, but I've never seen But they had a great it. sketch where they were so poor. We used to live in Hall in Took Road. <laughs> I shared a bedroom with my two sisters, and we didn't even have a bedside lamp. I can't think of anything worse than sharing a bedroom. I mean, I'm an only child, so it's not something I've ever had to do. I shared a bedroom with two other girls. Oh. But the worst passage in this, it was a mum, very blonde, very rich. She wanted to rent a Paris apartment for her daughter, a student. And they were shown around this flat with a terrace, a chef's kitchen, a view of the Eiffel Tower, beautiful planting, palm trees, olive trees of 400 years old. And when I was a student, I shared a bedroom with my friend Karen. So if I'd wanted to have sex, I couldn't have had sex because I shared a bedroom, but she went and had sex behind the sofa. Had, you, oh, oh, God, wouldn't you have had a rotor? Like, you know. No, she just did it in the sitting room, but I just didn't appreciate i didn't actually have a boyfriend but there you go but if the opportunity had arisen oh i did have that film star in my bed did you yeah russell but nothing no no he fell asleep he fell asleep i think karen was away doing something well that was a missed opportunity (sighs) but these privileged children i was just thrown out to sink or swim and i remember when i moved into this shared room with my friend karen who kept having sex behind a sofa I bought a knife, a fork, a plate, a mug with my dad's access card. Do you remember access? I do remember them. And he wrote me a letter telling me he wanted his money back. Thanks, Dad. 
Charming. Thanks, Dad. Don't have children if you can't afford them and don't help them too much. Next, There's the dilemma. Next time, pack a knife full complaint from your mum and dad's. <laughs> and the only woman in this whole series, you've got to watch it because it's just gobsmacking how rich and privileged these people And the women are just ghastly. Nothing pleases them. Nothing pleases them. And the only woman in the programme who had a job had a budget of four million... And do you know what her job was? She wasn't an award-winning 40 years plus writer, popular. She designs bath towels. Well, you're in the wrong business then. So I'm going to start doing flannels, yeah, hand towels, tea and, towels. And if you're a plumber or an electrician, like you've got, you know, you can turn work away. We're in the wrong business. We're doing something wrong here. I'm being ghosted by my plumber. Yeah. He's exactly. ghosted me. Exactly. Exactly, you've had to get a new one, haven't you? And then you've got a two-month wait. I'm going to retrain. So you've been watching a new trailer, Nick? I have. It landed in my inbox from the PR, and I got Barbie, the movie. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Yeah, she's on the cover, Margot Robbie, is she's on the cover of American Vogue this month. I have to say, a friend of mine who's a big Disney fan. Is it a real friend? It's a real friend. Tomorrow she's a big Disney fan. She does a lot of Disney. And she said to me, oh, are you going to go and see the new Barbie film? And I'm like, I would rather pull my toenails out with tweezers. But actually, I watched the trailer so it looks bloody epic. Ryan Gosling as as Ken looks fantastic, but it looks really When are they going to bring out a film of Cindy in her riding outfit? I don't know, but Barbie had a riding outfit. Did she? I'm sure she did. She had a little caravan. She had all sorts. I don't know why they cast Margot Robbie, because do you remember about a year ago, the male did a photo shoot of me as Barbie, and they reduced my waist to, what was it, 17 inches? They did. What did I look like? Severely photoshopped. What did I look like? Um, in pain. Because <laughs> I never look at photographs of myself in the newspaper. In pain and severely photoshopped. I mean, you're slim anyway, so to take your waist in, you literally looked like a stick person with a waist. But I thought this was absolutely hilarious to try. That must, be the, the that must be the funniest photo shoot I've done for the male, me as Barbie. Oh, I don't know. We've got you on a little scooter thing outside Buckingham Palace dressed as the Queen. I think the one I got most trolled about, because I get sent these statistics helpfully, the one I got most trolled about was when I was dressed up as Kate Middleton because people thought I looked like Kate Middleton. Oh, dear. And I got so much abuse. You do I said, look, we're joking. You know, I got, you don't look like she's a queer, she's a future queen, she's so serene and, and you're just revolting and you're a puss and you should be dead. And all I did was like dab my hair smoothed. Oh dear. You also did Nicole Kidman, didn't you, with all of My weeks? passport photo is very like Kate Middleton. Oh. Isn't it? Are you, are you, I'm going to put it on Twitter actually and get more abuse. Are you cheating on Megan? <sighs> ah, you see. I've slightly gone off Megan a little bit. So you've moved over to Kate? I hope she's not bullying Harry. I hope she's not. I really like Harry. I think he's made some silly decisions, but I like him. They're a bit Ken and Barbie, aren't they? 
But yeah, that looks really good. So I'm looking forward to it. That's out on the 21st of July. So I'm gagging for that. I've also been reading a book and it kind of leads in from what you were talking about earlier and about women and and, and how was it? Do you mean when I was being highbrow? When you was being highbrow. I'm going to be less highbrow, obviously. And it's called On Our Best Behaviour, The Price Women Pay to Be Good by Elise Lohan. And that was out on the 23rd. And it's quite an interesting study. It's about how women are conditioned to be good girls. We we have to be a good girl. And you're not. I wasn't conditioned, though. (laughs) I'm my mum's daughter. (laughs) And kind of how we're sort of brought up in a way, and we don't even realise it, to be martyrs and to repress what we want. And, you know, it's 2023, and I kind of felt that, we're not so much like that anymore. But then I'm very lucky. I was brought up by my mum and she's a very strong woman. Liz is now getting bored. Um, and she's very strong. And so female empowerment was just part of life. I didn't think it was anything special. And No, I was brought up by a martyr. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and in a traditional family. And it's kind of like, the author makes a really good point. You know, we don't say, we say strong women are brought up by a strong woman or strong woman influence. We don't say that about men. We don't feel the need to put that descriptive thing around men. So she makes some really good points. And what she does is she uses the seven sins to discuss women's behaviour. So sloth, gluttony, lust, and, and how us and it's it is it is about modern women although I was kind of thinking this is more of an old idea it is about modern women and the more I read it the more I thought actually that is so true how we're sort of expected to act in some way and she was talking about different behaviors things like you haven't got a lot of money but you still feel you need to buy things for other people you still need to spend money on other people and it's this desperate need to be liked and yet you're thinking oh my god I can't afford like to pay my electric bill but you still do it and I think the way she goes through the seven the seven sins she relates it back really well and she peppers it with her own experiences things like she was brought up in a traditional family and it was kind of like her dad went out to work her mum worked as well but her dad expected the family to play a role everybody had like for him the daughter and son were treated differently. She was meant to be more empathic. She was meant to be, you know, more emotionally available for Helpful him. in the kitchen. More helpful. And, you know, the mum was sort of working, coming home. She was a very intelligent woman. You know, she, she was doing really well for Phil, but she still had to do the cooking, the cleaning, and was generally the fairy that made everything happen. So she brings up some sort of like really interesting points. And one of the things I thought was interesting, and you've experienced this, Liz, she was talking about how it's all in the media. We look at in the media about how men behave and how women behave. And, and the, the women are really, you know, put down and judged and talked about. And she was talking about an author. And I found this really interesting because of you. She's a writer for a TV series. And she found that she was being constantly asked to make the female characters more likeable. And that nobody in the industry wanted female characters to be unlikable. They relied on... That's not true, And that's not true, but that was... Look at Villanelle. Exactly. And that was very much... She was really pressurised, go away and make the female character more likeable. Never, ever was it make the male character more likeable. It was always about making the female character more bland. 
And they felt that likability was the route to acceptability to get viewers. And you had that experience, didn't you, with your book and a publisher? Yeah. Also, you know, if they've got readers at Penguin or whatever who are young women, they're probably going to be very offended by my book. But also, she's very, very, very dislikable. Yeah. The heroine is very dislikable. She's evil. But she's interesting. She's clever. She's funny. witty. She's funny. So why do you need to make a likeable? I, I found that a really sort of interesting correlation to what's going on in the industry at large, but also your personal experience. Yeah. Because we've seen it first. You just can't get it made. You can't get it read. No. You can't get it published. You don't get an advance. You know, you're just... I had a meeting with a psychiatrist last week, a proper, proper psychiatrist, and he was sort of an older man. I get on better with female therapists, actually. And he was an older man, and he was quite patronising towards me. And he said, oh, I don't see why you don't have any money. He said, because you have a really large digital footprint. And then he took my age from Wikipedia, which is obviously incorrect because there's Absolutely. lots of evil people who like to try and make me look, make me look worse because anyone can go and edit Wikipedia, and I hope we find out who it is. And he says, oh, but you're a confessional journalist, aren't you? And I said, don't call me that. So we had a real fight. Yeah. I was banging the table. Did, what, did, did anyone else fight with anyone? a psychiatrist? I said, don't call me a confessional journalist. I am a writer. Yeah. You know, are you going to have a go at Martin Amis for writing about being a posh snob? Because that's what he is. Yeah. Are you going to have a go at Zadie Smith for writing about black people in North London? Because that's who she is. Yeah. You're just having a go. You're demeaning me as a writer. Yeah. I'm not a confessional writer. A writer writes the truth, no matter how harmful it is or how it makes them appear. So we're going back to the beginning again now, aren't we? Yeah. You don't write in order to be liked. You write to give your experience so that if you're anorexic, say, and you can't eat and you're hiding, some other girl out there will relate to you and know she's not the only one going through it. You yeah, don't write absolutely. about how to load the dishwasher or how to tidy your sock drawer, which was a piece in the Times this week. For goodness sake, that's behind a paywall. I ain't paying for that. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Do you remember a programme on Radio 2? No. I think it was a hairy cornflake. No. See? No. See? No. You see? What you see? What I have to deal with? I've anyone? never listened no. to Radio 2. The hairy cornflake. And he had this section with this music. La, da, da, da. And he told a sad story with this sad music. Do we need sad music? So we need that music. We need sad music because we're going to actually talk about the response that Liz had to Gracie. And there's been so many letters and tweets about Gracie. I mean, it's been, I'm still getting around, I'm still trying to answer everybody. So if you have written in and I've not answered, I'm so sorry. Um, I will get to you. But Liz, do you want to read out some of the stuff that you've no, had? No, because I'll start crying again. Okay. Well, we've had some lovely stuff. So I've just picked a couple here to, you know, to say, you know, how grateful we are for everyone getting in touch. And we've got Julia Hughes, who says, Good morning, ladies. I'm so very sad to hear about Gracie. I also lost my 17-year-old Ted last Tuesday. And this is him before the coronation party. And she's attached a, pi a picture of little oh, Ted. Oh, isn't he sweet? Oh, my God. Oh, he's, he's wearing cute. a little Union Jack. He's got a Union Jack bandana. And he's got these gorgeous fluffy ears. He is 
precious. So she knows how Lizzie's feeling. She said it's devastating to lose your best friend that's been next to you all these years. But we have to remember we've given them the best life they could have had and we love them completely. So love to Julia as well because she's going through the same thing. You also got a message from the lovely Jenny Seagrove. The, one of my many film star friends. Yes, who's lovely. And she says, oh, Liz, I'm so sorry. I know that heartbreak too well. No words are enough for what a life you gave her. Because Jenny's got main chance sanctuary, hasn't she? Yeah, so and she's got her own dogs as well. She's got her own dogs, so she will definitely know how awful it is. Jack Cassidy said, I'm so sorry to is hear Is it related this. to David, Jack he is, or she? Jack is she. Is she related to David? I don't think so. And it's too late for an introduction. So sorry to hear this. You must be raw. Extra big hugs for the other dogs. They'll miss her too. Minnie's missing her a lot, isn't she? I think she? Minnie's missing her, yeah. Caroline Cousins said, I was so saddened and heartbroken for you when I listened to your podcast earlier. It's so devastating to lose a beloved pet and I wish I could take your pain away. Sending lots of love. Deborah says, so sorry to hear this. Your animals are truly loved by you. And I think overall, people just know how it feels, just don't they? I don't think there's anything worse, really. There is nothing worse. And everybody that's been through it has just sort of like come together to support each other. And you've got a poem from Michelle Cottage. She sent you a poem that she got when she lost her Labrador. And it says, so you're going to cry now. I'm going to cry. So this is where we part, my friend. You'll run around the bend. Gone from sight, but not from mind. New pleasures there you'll surely find. I will go on. I'll find the strength. Life measures quality, not length. One long embrace before you leave. One last look before I grieve. There are others, that much is true. But they be they, and they're not you. And I, fair impartial, or so I thought, will remember well all you've taught. Your place I'll hold you. You will be missed. The fur I stroke, the nose I'll kissed. And as you journey to your final rest, take with you this. I loved you best. Oh. I always kiss Gracie on the end of her nose. Always. Nose bop. She likes a little nose bop. So, just amazing out. Like, thank you so much, everyone that's written in. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Because we're not reading the column again, because we streamed it early, didn't we, last week? We did. And I'll only start crying again. But they can read it online on Sunday or in the newspaper on Sunday. What, the so column? The yeah. column. So if you missed it, it it's still being printed Or if on you've Sunday. read it already, you can just read it again. You can. So instead, I'm going to go back to May 2011. Da, da, da. 2011. And I talked about vomiting because I had to get up so early to catch a plane to go to Marbella. And I've talked about how much I love, we love reality TV, don't we? We do. We Married. love reality. I've been to the reality TV awards. I watch Married at First Sight. I love, I bought a village where people repair villages. It's I, fantastic. I think you love it a lot more than me. I love reality you do. TV. You love it a lot more than me. <laughs> I just love Mary. Love is blind. Let me tell you, everyone, it isn't. Love Island. 
Did we ever get you up for the for the older version? Well, I wasn't allowed to enter because they want people with baggage and children. Well, you've got animals, so it's baggage and children. No, so I think Lizzie Cavendish is going in my place. No. Because she's got hundreds of children. You could have strutted around that villa in your bikini. I was in big... I saw I've done reality TV as well. You see, I'm all rounded. You are all rounded. You've been there, you've done that, you've And I was in Big Brother with a girl from Tawig. Was it Sam? It was, yeah. It was Sam. We got on quite well. And she used to do my hair and makeup before every time we were going to be voted out. It's quite weird when you do your hair and makeup to be voted out because they see you without makeup the rest of the time. But you're both Essex girls, aren't you? Both Essex girls, and she lent me a dress. So that was my experience of TOWIE. And I went to Marbella in 2011 to spend the weekend with TOWIE in Marbella. Perfect. Do you want to hear this? Did you fit right in? It's award-winning. Award-winning. Give it to us, Jones. No, I didn't fit right in. The first line is, Never have I felt so uncomfortable, so out of place, so pale, so old as I do at the moment. I stick out like a sore thumb, an unmanicured, not gel acrylic sore thumb. I'm sitting on a white leather, what else, banquette by a swimming pool at the Sisu Boutique Hotel in Marbella, watching a tangle of brown limbs, jet black hair, gold accessories and an awful lot of sequins and leopard print. It's as though there's been an explosion in a Primark warehouse. I've already braved bouncers the size of buildings whose faces look as though they've been carved from rock. My eyes hurt, what with the Spanish sun, the sheer number of gold coins dangling from the fringes of bikinis. And oh dear me, the bikinis, white ones, gold ones, pink ones. There are lots of young women with Rihanna red hair wearing teeny denim shorts with the zip artfully undone the 21st century version of leaving the laces of your trainers to trail in the mud. There's barely an inch of flesh without a tattoo. The only evidence any of these young people can read. I would love to be able to wear those little denim shorts. You were supposed to laugh then. Uh, No, it was very funny. There are young men too, each stripped to the waist to reveal the sort of torso I thought you only found on professional boxers or David Beckham. They all wear Tom Cruise's sunglasses, so he's somewhere else being dazzled. They are all oiled. Add a dash of balsamic vinegar and they'd be a salad. They all stand, the better to see and be seen. No woman seems to want to get wet. I'm worried me air will get wet, shrieks one with the colouring of Elizabeth Taylor, if only the star had been barbecued. Ah, I recognise the accent. It hails from Brentwood in Essex, which is where I went to school. Except this isn't Essex I recognise. I'm at a pool party given by the cast of The Only Way is Essex, known to its mates as TOWIE. Ed on ITV2, TOWIE's a reality show that's just completed its second season and won a BAFTA. TOWIE follows the fortunes of a group of Essex boys and girls as they go about their daily lives. They drive around in white Range Rovers, getting their hair done, partying, proposing to one another and chatting on various DFS sofas. It's a series in which people are plums and everyone says ream, which means good, and everything comes with the sign-off, LOL, you do that. I do that, yeah. Towie is in turn tedious and hilarious. One young woman, Amy Childs, who works in a beauty salon and spends a good deal of time artistically 
Autistically, gluing beads around her clients' nether regions, a process known as vajazzling, gave me the following admission. I only found out recently that dinosaurs were real. Will they come back, do you think? Oh, bless her. She's only just found out dinosaurs are real. Oh, oh, bless her. That's sweet. Amy talks often about her qualifications. My best subject is geography. I know where everything is in London. Amy is with one of her friends. Who's that guy who's really clever? Amy says. The other girl goes, um, I know, says Amy, Einstein. The other girl is really, really unsure. Didn't he crack someone's head open? Oh, no, that was Frankenstein. Tau is the last in a long line of reality shows that started in the UK with The Family in 1974, flourished in the US with the likes of Jersey Shore, and is now mushrooming as never before. Geordie Shaw recently received 20,000 complaints from local residents concerned about the nudity and the drunken antics. Tao would never stoop so low. There's a sort of a wholesomeness about the programme, a naivety. See, that's because they're from Essex. That's nice, isn't it? Essex girls are just a nice bunch. Yeah. Tao's cast members, all, this obviously happened before that awful bear chap went to prison. He wasn't yeah. in it then. I'd have drowned him in the pool. Tao's cast members all swear to me that the show is not scripted. They're merely told to be at a party or to meet in a dreadful kitchen or a fashion boutique. Having spent the afternoon and the evening with them, I now know that while the producers might not script what comes out of those perfect big white teeth, they must sift through thousands of hours of videotape to reveal just one golden nugget of brilliant comedy. That's like a producer with a podcast. That's our, our podcast. It's yeah. every second, isn't it? it we is. don't have hours and hours. <laughs> I don't know, sometimes we go on a bit. I meet Essex head boy, 24-year-old Mark Wright. He was a founding cast member who enlisted his friends. No one was paid for the first season, although the salary was up to 50 quid a day. That's more than I get. It's unbelievable, though, isn't it? Not Salaries have expanded along with Mark's biceps by the time Series 3 is filmed. Today, Mark has chest double and is wearing white Haviana flip-flops. Mark obviously believes he is a star because within nanoseconds he tells me he has 60,000 followers on Twitter. He lounges on the white leather. He sticks to it sometimes, actually. Out always, always. Yeah. He has to unstick himself. Sun and, sun and plasticky seats are just not a good thing. They're not. He regards me with the cold eyes of a shark. He has his own company, Unique Parties... My agent is over there, he points. I don't even know if you can take my picture because a photo of me is worth a lot of money. Oh, I love it. He tells me he won't talk about his private life, particularly about his on-screen fiancé. This from a reality TV star. Hmm. Why does he think the show is a success? People can relate to us, he says. We're not snobby. Is money what drives you? I drive a BMW X X6, he says. I don't think he's being funny. While the party begins to warm up around us, the truth is it's all about cash. The nearer you are to the pool, the higher the cost of the banquette. If you want to hire a bit of white leather to stick to, within cologne distance of Mark, you will need to spend £3,000 on alcohol. If you're up near the bushes, you might get away with the grand. If you want to really show off, you'll order a champagne spray, a sticky celebration that sets you back thousands. 
I read the drinks orders for each excited but trying not to show it group of young men and women who are probably on the minimum wage, but who scrimped and saved to be in Towie's presence. No one wants to be seen drinking Moe. They all want Dom at 450 a bottle or Cristal Brew to £850. One banquet orders six bottles of Dom. I hear one young woman tell her friend, it tastes funny. That's because of your lip gloss, her friend explains, clearly speaking from experience. Fantastic. That's been good. Make They're drinking £850 Crystal Brood through lip gloss. I find it sad these Towie groupies believe they're remotely cool as they teeter in their wedges and their Cheryl Cole Stetsons. I can't take my eyes off one blonde. She has the breasts of a 20-year-old porn star, the buttocks of a 60-year-old. She's quite happy, though, as she bounces around on her banquette, glugging grey goose vodka. She guards her £600 Louis Vuitton leopard scarf, which she's using to sit on and hide her bottom. When I used to go to the beach at Frinton, I used an old dog towel. A Towie cast member who's turned up today is 25-year-old Jessica, who comes from Buckhurst Hill. Buckhurst Hill! That's the posh bit. It is the posh bit. Buckhurst Hill's lovely. If she is very beautiful, if only you could excavate beneath the orange. Before the show, she wanted to be a singer and a model. Now she wants to be a singer and a model, although she wants to stay grounded. How wise. Has, Has the show changed her life? I have the same friends I had when I was eight, she says. Is she ambitious? I go to London once a week. How long did she take to get ready today? Oh, about 30 minutes. I'll take longer to go out in the evening. We take care of ourselves. We've been brought up like that. I look up to Blake Lively, but I have my own taste. Minnie. I meet Lydia, who idolises Carrie Bradshaw. She's the real fashionista of the programme. She lives in Woodford Green near Chigwell, or as she calls it, West Essex. Oh, Woodford Green. It's just all home. Does she spend lots of money on clothes and grooming? I'm guilty of the occasional sunbed. I like Vera Wang and vintage. There's a Vera Wang in Essex? Oh no, I go up to London. I want to capitalise on this chance. I want to work in fashion. I want my own label. Did she study fashion or art or design? I used to work in an office. Lydia has every nail and toenail applique with the tiny image of her pet piebald miniature pig. All the girls have been to a nail bar this morning, which is why they're late. They're all hung over. How can she afford to be here at all? Our table is a grand, there are 13 of us, so it works out quite cheap, actually. Last arrived is Lucy. She's so young, 19, she remembers every single grade she attained in her GCSEs and proceeds to recite them for me. You see, you know you're old when you can't remember what O-levels you got. No, I don't even remember what... No, or A-levels even. She had long black hair extensions and a heartbreaking face. She used to have a relationship with Mark. He pursued me for a few dates, is how she puts it. I'm a career girl, I love my job, I work in wholesale. She too is bringing out a clothing line. Where does she get her sense of style from? I don't know, because my mum doesn't dress like this at all. I can't stand it if a girl wears jeans and a t-shirt and a night out. Does she dress up for men? Essex girls dress for ourselves. Good girls. I ask all the Towie females why they dress this way. Each one denies what they're wearing as a uniform, but I find it hard to tell one raven-haired temptress from the next. 
My theory is these young men and women are the descendants of EastEnders who, after the Second World War, left in search of a better life, and they just landed in Essex. They're tenacious. They've got a strong work ethic. They also have old-fashioned family values. I'm reminded of the day I went to Jade Goody's funeral. She wasn't an Essex girl, having grown up in Bermondsey, but she was an honorary one, having moved to Loughton, which is the posh bit. That day, I'd been touched by the friendliness of the people lined up to see her off at the church. And the fact they didn't envy her money, but were fiercely protective. All these Jay Goody fans, these Essex girls, they all said to me, smell my neck, smell my neck, because they were wearing her perfume to her funeral. Oh. Well, that's just lovely, though, isn't it? They put Jade's perfume on to go to her funeral. Smell my neck, smell my neck. Oh, I love that, I love that. I never want to leave Essex, says Jessica, whose nan, Pat, is to my mind the star of the show. The girls all want to get married and have children. Their parents are solid. But I still can't understand the parochialism. Growing up in Essex, I couldn't wait to leave. The boys I knew were always gobby, but they were generally weeds, not extras in an American hip-hop show. Isn't the show terribly patronising and branding anyone who comes from Essex a terrible stereotype? I don't get a lot of flat because I'm likeable, says James Argent, 23, a young man who still lives with his parents. Has the show changed his life? I get attention from thousands of girls, says the former barman. People think we're stupid, says Lydia. We're not. The next day, another pool, another party. The queen bee of brown pneumatic women, Katie Price, is in the house. She ostentatiously dives into the pool, displacing a great deal of water with those breasts. And eureka moment, I say to a newly smooth mark. I think he's shaved his chest specially. You what, he says, as uncomprehending as a snail. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.